hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode, I know now, is sponsored by PDF Pen and Zapier. I'm Simone de Rochefort, a video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm here today with Brianna Wu, Democratic candidate for Congress, and Christina Warren, a senior cloud advocate at Microsoft. You got it! (laughs) Yes, I did. I've been so good at getting it, and then I stopped being good at getting it just now. Um, But I'm getting it again. If you if if I may be so bold. <laughs> Amazing. Hey, Amazing. Listen, on the on the recipe for today's show, a whole month of Apple rumors has culminated in an Apple keynote, and we will be discussing it. On top of that, we'll also have the second part of our interview with Rachel Williams, uh, which I'm super excited for. And then to close out the day, we will of course be talking about the Sega Dreamcast because it's the, <laughs> literally the I, I I'm not going to do the math. Twentieth anniversary. Twentieth. No. I knew it no. was a nine 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 thing, but I did not feel compelled. No, to if it was twenty five, I'd be I'd be technically forty, Dead. even though we all know I'm never turning thirty. So <laughs> this is this is not happening. Yeah, that's exactly. True. Right, that's true. Right. You are trapped in a time warp. We all we all see that. <laughs> it's very sad. We keep trying to help Christina get free her from the time warp, uh, but she will not like, be nope. saved. No, I, I I've paid those people so much money for like the 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 um, anti aging serum that um, I mean I, pro- I I promised all the children I'm never going to have for it. But uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, you look great. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh well, let's talk about some iPhones, ladies. Oh, oh God! I yeah, we, I are, don't we are gonna wanna, start with this one. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be negative. To I know. Oh, I'm I don't want to be negative. Should either. we pick a different topic then? No, no, no. we gotta cover it. Our our audience oh. wants our take on oh. it. I just ah. Uh, Okay, okay, so, so let's I, let's get this out on the table. Today's okay. Apple event was incredibly boring, and watching it felt like I was being held hostage because I really <laughs> wanted to go get a drink, not an alcoholic drink, just some gosh darn tea from the kitchen, but I couldn't leave. I was tethered to this never-ending Apple event um, that I had to consume because I had to come here and talk to you all tonight. Um, so I'm not saying that you owe me money. Uh, for psychological damages. But I am saying that this episode of Rocket is... No, it's not. Um, Anyway, yeah, so it was really boring. But one of the things we talked about was the new iPhones. So... Christina, well, I believe you wanted to say something. Yeah, do we want to start with the iPhone? Okay, we can do that. No, yeah. no I mean, actually, I was going to say, let, let's start with the the what they started with, which was Game Pass. Yeah. Okay. Or not Game Pass, Arcade. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting, see, I'm getting my brands confused. It's happening. I'd like to mash together Arcade and Apple TV Plus into one Yes, Uber I topic. would agree with that. So first of all, was anybody impressed with what they showed off from Arcade? It no. was fine. It was Okay. It was whatever. Yeah. So they showed off bits of a new Frogger game. They showed off Sayonara Wild Hearts, which I already knew was going to be good. Um, And I genuinely can't remember the middle game that they showed off, which is a little (laughs) bit depressing. 
Um, but what they did do, the, the most exciting thing I think that they did during this whole segment was to confirm that both Arcade and Apple TV Plus will be four ninety nine each. Yes. Yeah. And and then the big thing with Apple TV Plus, this is this is really strategic uh, for them. Um, this is a way for them to juice their subscriber numbers, which is important in the you know streaming TV service battle, which right now is dominated by Netflix and and Amazon and, and Hulu, but is about to be dealt a very 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 big blow by Disney. Is that they will be giving anyone who buys basically any Apple product, so an iPhone, an iPad, a Mac. I don't know if they said Apple TV or not, because ironically, as much as they talked (laughs) about TV+, the Apple TV did not get any mention at all. Um, And so, but, but if you buy any of these Apple devices, then you will get a free year of Apple TV+. And um, so, but normally it will be $5 a month, which I think is a good price that's coming in under the competition. Disney's what, $6.99? Uh, but uh, the the one year free is what they're going to do, which is not dissimilar from kind of their early Apple Music strategy, which was to give, I think everybody got like like 90 days free or something. Yep, yep. Um, so this is smart, but I think that I also... I also think I think it's really strategic and I think it's a really smart move. I also think that they are going to use this to mask the actual number of subscribers they have and that they're going to be I, I'm predicting it now. They're going to be lots of fawning like Forbes articles by like Forbes contributors <laughs> um, from from people who are like, look at these amazing subscriber numbers when no, they're free. And what you're really going to have to wait for is next November so that the service launches November 1st. It sounds to me, I want you guys' take, it sounds to me like it is not ready. It sounds to me like they are launching on November 1st because Disney is launching November 12th. Mm -hmm. They're going to have a selection of shows available. They didn't tell us how many. They mentioned that um, the morning show had 100 million views, which means that they put it on Facebook because it it didn't get 100 million views on YouTube. So so they put it on Facebook. And, And they mentioned that every month new content will be added. So... I'm really curious about how big this initial slate is. And I would say I think it's a really good thing that they're giving it to everybody who buys an Apple product for a period of time. I mean, remember when Amazon started uh, Amazon Video, right? And they they had the same problem. They didn't have much content. And they very specifically had the strategy of, well, people aren't going to complain about not having much content, which was all horror movies, which I loved. Right. Uh, Well, but but, but there's a key difference there. Yeah. But there's a key difference there. Amazon Video was part of Prime. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you were getting it as this bonus feature. This was before Prime became kind of that was kind of the beginning of Prime becoming the the magical catch-all oh, yeah. of, of services. Yeah. So they were it was a really good value add where you're saying, Well, I'm just giving this to you. And they did have catalog content, right? They didn't have the originals. It was several years before they had originals. You're right, but they had catalog content, whereas Apple TV Plus is not going to have catalog content, is going to have um a limited number of of originals that they're going to be releasing each month. And then, I mean, I think that the the hope, I mean, this is how it reads to me, and I'm not trying to be overly negative, but it seems like they're trying to give themselves a year to build out a streaming service, mm-hmm. which look, you know what, maybe they need to do that because Disney's going to eat the world. And, and I, I think this is probably a really smart move, 
But I think for anybody, I've seen a lot of hot takes already saying that Apple's going to kill Netflix. And I'm sorry, oh, completely come wrong. on. Like, yeah, the, that's this, a good this dream. Is, Netflix like, has yeah. all of the content. Apple right. has three of the content. <laughs> not only that, but I think that if you look at people who are going to spend their money, like not talking about a free service, I don't know anyone in the entire universe, even the biggest like most devout Apple fans, there's literally maybe one person who would choose Apple TV Plus over Disney Plus. Yeah, honestly, Netflix at this point feels like the Kleenex of streaming services. Like, totally, you have to have everything it. else feels like I'm buying on top of that. Netflix is the one that I just assume everyone kind of has, even yeah. though I, I'm sure a lot of people have it through friends and family and things like that. Um, I want to revisit something you said. So when you said catalog content, you're yeah. referring to like, say the, the rentals of existing movies that they do on iTunes no. and things like that. No, 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 no. I mean like older content that is not original. So when okay, gotcha. Netflix like, launched, yeah. they had the stars library, which, which provided them with an enormous amount of, of, of content. And when Amazon launched, like Brie said, there were a lot of horror movies and there were a lot of like lesser quality other films. And so basically what happens is you can go to studios, I mean, HBO and, and Cinemax and Showtime um, and the others, you know, did this for years too, where they would basically, you know, buy, you know, rights um, to older, you know, content, catalog content that, that exists, you know, way back and, and make it available. And then it would be on kind of a rotating basis. Um, you know, for many, many years, that was the vast majority of Netflix's catalog until it became originals. It's still, you know, something that, that Amazon um, cares about. But like, Apple doesn't have any of that, at least to mm-hmm. my knowledge. So it's going to be their originals and their originals only, um, which is another reason why I think the $5 price point is the correct price point. Because I think if they tried to go any higher than that, that would be a problem. But I think that $5, assuming they could come out with um, a reputable slate of shows that you want to watch, I think that could eventually be compelling. But I, I think that, that that first year free is mm-hmm. kind of the yeah. only way they're going to yeah. get a lot of people yeah. into the door. Yeah. I totally agree of- with your assessment. About them inflating the numbers. Yeah, no, I do too. We have a lot of Apple news to get to, so I don't sure. want to dwell on this too long. I, I was unimpressed. I'm going to try it. Uh, can I just get a quick show of hands here? Sure. Does anyone on the show still subscribe to Apple news? Because I didn't find the value was there, personally. I didn't, I didn't even sign up for the trial. Yeah. I didn't um, either. I, maybe it's because I have so many subscriptions. It's just not something I need to think about, but that's interesting. I wish in the best. I'm going to give it a go. Uh, I don't have high hopes with it. As far as Arcade, any thoughts here? For me, um, this is a month where the Switch has so much good stuff on it. Uh, Astral Chains, FF8 Remake, uh, you know, it's uh, Dragon uh, Dragon Age Builders 2. That It's just, there's nothing there that's going to compete with anything on Switch. So when it comes to my personal gaming attention, uh, that's mm-hmm. just where it is. How how do you feel, Simone? That's pretty much how I feel, too. I mean, I'm saving Sayonara Wild Hearts uh, for the Switch release. That's the platform that I'm choosing to get it on. Yeah. Um, I... <sighs> They, they, a lot of people got excited because kind of not announced during the keynote, but buried afterwards, uh, it was revealed that they were doing like a Shantae remake or re-release on iPhone. There was um, another like a bunch of older series that have very dedicated but small fan bases are kind of being brought back for iOS. Yeah. Um, Frogger being the one that they mentioned during the keynote, which is 
interesting as a tactic. And I, I don't necessarily, it's not necessarily something that's going to work on me. Um, we'll kind of see how that plays out as the service rolls out. But there's definitely nothing that screams must get in a year when we've seen control come out on PC and the bigger consoles. Like you said, the Switch is having an absolutely killer year. Um, iPhone obviously does still remain a huge market for games. Um, but yeah. this really, it, it changes the paradigm. So I'm I'm excited yeah. to see what happens. But not for me. My, my my only brief comment on this, I don't think that arcade is for us. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I, th- I think that arcade is for families. I think arcade is is for for very casual games. I don't think it's for children. Us. Children. Yes, that's what I mean. Like I, I think it, I think it's for kids. I think it's for families who maybe want a way to play together, or for families who want to buy their kids. You know, for five dollars a month, you have access to these things. No net purchase. Go nuts. I think that's actually really great, and I'm really glad they're doing that, and they're offering kind of a path for um, game developers to to build something sustainable without a net purchase. So I really applaud that. But um, like if if the if the Family Guy match three game that I play were on it or whatever, <laughs> sure. But that's that's about it. Shall we move on to the what or iPad was next? I believe. Uh, yeah, I don't have much to say about the iPad there. Neither I do the price I. Point, the, I, <laughs> I thought it was interesting. They are uh, you talk about the Apple Pencil One from the first gen. Yep, uh, iPad. Uh, iPad Pro, not the one from the latest gen iPad Pro. That was really the only thing that stuck out there. Everything they're doing with iPad OS, it looks interesting, but it didn't look groundbreaking. The price point was the main news to me. Christina, yeah. thoughts? Same. I think the price point is yeah. great. Um, I think that, you know, last year they said, they basically said as much that the the cheapest iPad is the most popular one. What's interesting about this is that, what was it? I guess the, there was an iPad event in the spring, wasn't there, when they released the mini mm-hmm. that showed... There was also another kind of older uh, or slightly different style iPad that also used the older Apple Pencil. And so I think that it is interesting that they are continuing to use that older style. I assume it's just cheaper for them to make. Um, and and, and I, actually, I bet the biggest thing is not the stylus itself, but is the, the, the charging mechanism. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that if anybody has been using an older iPad for a number of years and wants a good replacement that'll work really well with um, iPad OS. Mm-hmm. This is really nice that they that they have this available, um, and it'll probably help them even more with you know certain businesses who use them for maybe point of sale or for you know a light type of work. So yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say. I think yeah, it, it's just it it's it's good. I think the, most of the keynote was fine. This is good. It is yes. the good price point three hundred twenty nine dollars. It's ten inches, good size. Um, but exciting. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we go straight into the, uh, Apple watch, I want to talk about the research stuff that they did, uh, kind of leading up to announcing the series five. Uh, what, what were, what were like, Christine, what did you think of all that? I mean, the, I, I could relate very personally to the little ad that they played about people writing in about, you know, the Apple Watch, you know, um, impacting their health because um, I, I still have to get my results and, and and go through all the things with my cardiologist. But um, I was alerted and, and was able to see that things weren't right with my own body like literally two weeks ago. Yeah. So I think that's really powerful. Um, I also looking at, I mean, when we talk about like how 
good the data is, I'm kind of interested. I had to wear um, a chest-mounted um, uh, heart monitor for a week, and there's, they're going to get the data to me and in a couple weeks. And I'm, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to view it in kind of an exportable way and maybe compare it to what my Apple Watch data from that same period of time is. So um, it, to kind of get a glimpse of, you know, how good the, the watch is, um, uh, various heart sensors are. But no, I mean, I, th- I think that um, having access to something like this is undoubtedly good, regardless of whether it's truly medical grade or not. I think this is for a lot of people, even the the original ER doctor I was talking to was kind of marveling at how people can come in so much more informed and can show doctors, you know, the sinus rhythm and um, their heart rates and other information from their device in a way that you just couldn't before. And I think that's really powerful and is something that probably doesn't get enough credit, in my opinion, um, about the Apple Watch. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I guess one of the things that uh, was interesting to me is we're working to get Mike Isaac on the show uh, next week uh, to talk about his book, Super Pumped. So I'm working through that and I'm reading about you know, the chapter, it gets into Uber's misuse of data and their abuses there. And it's at the same time that Apple is kind of uh, announcing their research initiatives for women's health, all of which sounds amazing. But it did did give me some pause because you're talking about, and I want to just say, I trust Apple to do the right thing here. They've got a great record on privacy. Yeah, and it's not just Apple. To be clear, it's also yeah. it's also these um, these very well renowned, very well known universities who Absolutely. this is not the first Harvard, time they've done health yep. studies, yeah, like, including like, Harvard, right here yeah, in exactly. Boston. So it's in, so I don't have any particular worries personally about this. It just did give me some pause thinking about, wow, if you think about it uh, as we kind of have more Fitbits and Apple Watches and devices like this out here, this is a lot of data that people can have access to. And I was thinking like, what if you had a company with the ethics of Uber with access to this information? I mean, what if they called and affected someone's insurance because their, you know, their uh, heart rate was doing X, Y, or Z. I just, it, it made me think about how it might be good to have proactive legislation around protecting uh, patient information here. Yeah, I, w- I would look, I think, think that that already is part of HIPAA. I think that that already exists. Having something the more is, is you know, like laid out in terms of some of the consumer stuff might be good. But I mean, the thing is the technology is getting better and it's getting smarter and it's getting smaller. But a lot of the stuff that's being used has been around for a really long time. So, you know, I, I understand the concerns. Part of me thinks, though, like, what we have already seen, now this bothers me more than the use of the data, but what we have already seen is insurance companies giving people discounts or altering their coverage if they use a Fitbit or if they use an Apple Watch. That I'm actually really opposed to. I'm yeah. not into that at all. Yeah, I don't I like the idea of, of taking, you know, either giving you a, a cheaper thing because you're going to use this device because I think that does take you one step away from the insurance company saying, we need to see this information to make sure that we continue to insure you this way. Yeah. That I'm not down with. But I, I, I would hope, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not a lawyer or a policymaker, but I think that a lot of the HIPAA provisions and a lot of the other things that have been built into medical devices for, uh, you know, over, over you know, the last, you know, uh, 15 years or so um, prohibits that sort of thing. That said, I mean, you bring up a great point. I'm also reading the Uber book right now, and it's really excellent. Um, but, uh, you know, 
I think I think for me, actually, the bigger concern isn't so much what if insurance companies do something with this. And this actually is not an Apple thing that I'd be worried about. This is more for broader uh, health yeah. companies. It's what happens if this information gets hacked. Yeah, that too. And, mm-hmm. and, and how are they storing this information? And that's something I think that's much more broad than the Apple Watch, but it's something we should think about, which is when you have all this personal information about you stored places, and I'm not just talking about device data. I'm talking about the various uh, systems because there's a huge software industry. There's a huge enterprise software industry aimed at modernizing hospitals and doctor's offices. And if those databases are hacked the same way that so many other databases are hacked, that's a very different kettle of fish than even losing your social security number or your bank account information because yeah. your health information, yeah. there's there's an extra context and an extra nastiness there that that's not like, that's even worse. Yeah, we should definitely set standards for, I mean, like I assume Apple didn't mention this in the keynote. I assume they're using differential privacy and strongly anonymizing the data before it gets sent out. But I, it's, it's a side part of the keynote that just gave me some pause. Uh, Simone, did you have any thoughts about that before we moved to Apple Watch? Oh, the main reaction on Team Polygon was uh, on a much more uh, banal level. So the brightness is so, okay. Two things they announced about this watch. One, it has an always on display. So it yep. will go into a yep. low light mode or sorry, a low brightness mode uh, when you're not moving and then up to full brightness when you move your wrist. It also, I believe has a full, I'm looking for the exact stats here, but it's like 1000 nits. It gets <laughs> the display. Yeah. is is so incredibly bright. And the reaction on team polygon was, Apple hates people in movie theaters. Yeah. <laughs> so the conspiracy is now that Apple is launching Apple TV Plus and a watch <laughs> that never turns off to drive people out of movie theaters and oh, make them watch okay. the morning show. So, 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 so they, they do have they're the theater anti- button. Yeah, they, they do have the, the theater, theater button. button. Yeah. Good. I'm glad that they thought about that. But no, but that's a good point. So yeah, so the watch, the big features, I could I've definitely tell, like, been in it, theaters where people don't bother to turn on yeah. the theater mode. Oh, I've been, I have too. And I've probably been that You've person. You've been that person. Like, it would, I mean, once I've realized, I'm like, oh yeah, let me put that mode on. But yeah, because um, I had the question myself, like the always on display, I'm kind of interested in this, but the bigger part of me was like, can I turn this off and can I do sleep tracking? Mm. Like, can I just sleep with my watch? Yeah. Um, I uh, I have a fitness credit that I need to use that's that's burning a hole in my pocket. But before I buy the watch and and sell my my series four and then probably just give Simone my series three Yay. because they're still selling that. Um, before I do that, I want to read the reviews and and s- understand better what the differences are. Because, like, if I weren't literally trying to spend the amount of money for an Apple Watch from my fitness credit, then I – because it's already too late in the year for me to, like, do other stuff. <laughs> so uh, I'm not going to go to the gym. I thought this was the most impressive thing Apple announced today. Um, so just to kind of catch listeners up – uh, they have a new display in this that can adjust the hertz of the watch on the fly, so yeah. it can go all the way down to one. If you don't know, like if you've ever seen, uh, heard someone talking about hertz, you're you're kind of you can think of it as a shorthand for frame rate. <laughs> so if it's like down to one hertz, it's going to redraw that like once a second. So when they're talking about doing this, it's putting an ultra low power state that display, which I'm not. 
I mean, I'm sure it saves some battery life. I'm not sure how much it would save. Uh, but overall, I bet that and the OLED would do a lot. Yeah, because because if yeah. you're because think about it, if if most of your sensors like and, and I'm sure they played with this, but I'm thinking if most of your OLED drawings are going to be the same, so they're going to remain static, and the only thing you might have to update is the second count or the minute count on some of the displays, then that could actually do quite a bit if if your if your um, refresh rate is like one. That's fair. Um, but the bottom line with this, like uh, the Series 3 was a good watch. The Series 4 was a big upgrade. I do not regret mm-hmm. buying that Series 4 at all. This looks like, I don't think if you bought a Series 4, it's worth upgrading to this. Yeah, I would agree with but that. I think if you don't have an Apple Watch or you have a Series 3 or God help you, a Series 0, Start I here. think this is a smart place to go. I also think it's worth saying that Series 3 now comes out at a $199 yeah, price point, yeah. which is good really price. good. Yeah. It's a great yeah. price. It's a great price. And I think that's really like that gets them solidly into Fitbit territory and like RIP Fitbit. (laughs) Like honestly, like, well, yeah, exactly. Like that's really great. Um, And, uh, but yeah, no, I think the always on thing, what they're doing there, I'm looking to see it in action, but yeah, um, I think that that's that's really cool technology to kind of do that. Let me ask you this, Bree, as as an Apple Watch, fellow Apple Watch wearer, I've never been bothered by the lack of always on. Nope, has never come up ever. Ever. Okay. Do you guys want to talk iPhones? Yeah, let's get to it. Alrighty. Oh, God, where did my links go? I just had these up. Oh, what a fool I am. Okay, so we've got three new phones here. We've got the iPhone 11, the iPhone 11 Pro, and the iPhone 11 Pro Max. Oh. <laughs> during the keynote, uh, my coworker Summit very cruelly, uh, during a moment when I wasn't paying attention, said, yeah, it's the iPhone 11 XS Max. And I, for a split second, thought he was being serious. And I was like, no, Summit. No, they didn't. They couldn't have named it the 1011. And thank God it was a joke, but I honestly, it's not that I mean, much better. <laughs> no, I mean, I was going to say, honestly, the the 1011, I, I kind of like it better. Oh, get I out of know, here. Man. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, I, I'm just. I mean, it, it, it's Pro, a rock, a iPhone rock 11 in a hard Pro place. Max. And the rock is 1011 and the hard place is Pro Max. Um, what does it mean? What it means is. Um, Funky, weird cameras and less exciting colors is the difference. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, I'm just going to say, I think this is the ugliest Apple flagship phone yeah. they've ever put out. Oh, this is, I, I tweeted this and, and it was a very popular tweet. I tweeted, I can't believe I'm about to spend $1,500 on this ugly ass phone. Christina, tell me you're not going to spend $1,500 on this phone. No, I mean, I'm not, but I am because I'm going to just use my upgrade. Like, okay. no, because I pay yeah. Verizon. I pay Verizon $52 a month for my current iPhone XS Max. Yeah. And I'm going to continue to pay them $52 a month, but instead have an iPhone 11 Pro Max. Oh, so, Pro yeah, Max. I, I, I am. I mean, like, yeah. I'm I'm not buying this. I, I'm just not. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I really... Uh, Christina, do you remember when we first started doing Rocket and the Apple keynote would come out? I feel like we had so much those positive to say about oh, it's, every it's phone. Apple Day. It's and supposed to be the it's supposed to be the greatest day of the year. Like <laughs> nothing pains me more 
and I, and I say that with only a slight amount of hyperbole. Um, uh, and, and we all know how much I'm, I love hyperbole, but no, I mean, I, yes, I have been, there's nothing that makes me sadder than the fact that this keynote was boring. And that's just it. But like, it wasn't bad. It was boring. No, well, here's the thing. I think the phones are actually, again, I said my word for this event was fine. I think that these phones yes, this is the are problem. an They're improvement fine. on the phones that we have now, even if that's just in the most basic ways, like better camera, da 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 da. Um, it wasn't excitingly presented though and the information that we got wasn't exciting at its core it's just like ah this is fine i I think the issue is and we've talked about this a lot we're not just at peak iphone we're peak smartphone we're peak all this stuff there's only so much more you can do and you know putting like a, a mickey mouse logo on the back is like one thing you know with the camera ray um, and, and I know that there were like some people, apparently there's some disorder where if you see like dots out of sequence, then like you, you, uh, uh or something like that, people like get like triggered. I don't, there've been studies that sh- say that's not a real disorder. I'm sorry if this really does bother you. Um, I understand that like, it definitely like is not the most attractive thing. Trust me. I think this is a very ugly device, but I think we're just at peak phone and there's just only so much you can do. And we're just kind of at this place where we're like. I've got a controversial opinion on the lenses, actually. I think it's so ugly that I've come full circle to liking it. Oh, Oh. God. Yeah, I'm sorry. Am I banned? My my problem with it is it's not even flush along the back. Like, I, if it was a solid piece of glass on the back with those three lenses inside of it, okay, maybe, maybe I get it. But it's like, you've got the glass and then you've got the three camera bumps shooting out after that. And it's just so You're right. unwieldy and yeah, unapple-like. It, it, this whole thing, can we talk about the colors on the iPhone 11 first? Yes, Okay, let's do so that. colors okay. on yeah. the iPhone 11, we've got like a pale lavender, we've got a mint green, we've got a pastel yellow, and then we've got white, black, and of course, Project Red. And yet, yeah, I love the purple. I love the purple. I know I plenty of people are people, plenty of people are like, there's no real purple. I have plenty of things in that exact shade of purple. Yeah. I like lilac slash lavender. It's good. Yeah, I yeah. like it. It's a feminine color, but it's not like, you know, like so, it's not like hot pink, you know? It's not no, like it, Barbie. And it's, it's, it's not millennial pink. It's whatever. Yeah. No, I like yeah. it. I, I, I just, I think this is a move though, right? Like they really just went all in on, on, the, on the colors. Like there's a black and, and a white, but like, I mean, I'm very pro colors. Like when the, I am with too. the 10R, I was really excited by that as well because I think it's fun to have these options, even though statistically it'll probably be covered up with a case or stickers or whatever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Although they're now going to be selling the the clear cases for all the devices, so I can get an official Yay. clear case from uh, from Apple. But yeah, um, I I was into the colors. Um, some people didn't like that they were like kind of the lighter, more pastel shades. That's actually it's very on choice. trend right now. And that's very on trend right now. So I'm not I'm not mad at it. Like last year was like kind of the bold stuff. This year it's it's uh it's more pastelish. Um it, it's more Tyler the Creator. I'm down with it. Like mm-hmm. uh, man, it just doesn't sit well with me to have something as expensive expensive as a phone be doing trend colors. Yeah. Okay, but okay, but now we have to talk about the the, the iPhone Pro colors because All right. uh, oh. so the iPhone Pro, 
We've got black. We've got a space gray. We've got white. We've got a very forest, pro space gray. Very pro space gray. It's very pro. Only the most pros get the space gray. A forest green. And is this gold? This is rose gold. Okay. I mean, it's okay. gold, but this it's this gold. Is- I I disagree. That's that's gold. Gold. It's not rose gold. I was watching the keynote. and I was like, Christina must be heartbroken right now. See, okay, oh. well, then, well, then maybe okay. So our IMAX screens, which are calibrated identically, um, our eyesight just must be different. But you you were probably right. I'm probably hoping that I'm that that, that this is like more rose gold than last year's. But because uh, I had several people texting me, congratulations. Uh, when the when the when the gold phone was announced, at least it's solid gold, unlike the eight, uh, which is I believe what I have, uh, which is just white <laughs> with a yeah, or, or cream or the, rather, or the ten S uh, Max or ten S ten S Max, which also kind of has this. It's this weird kind of like in certain light it looks pinkish, in certain light it looks more goldish. Like mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a mixed thing, um, but yeah, I mean. Um, this green color, a lot of people are really, really into. I actually like it. Yeah, it's it's like the 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 some of the most high end Porsches come in this exact shade of green. So That's it's true. a very racer green, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, in in all in all honesty, you make a very good point for you. I hadn't thought about this because I'm not a car person, but I'm married to a car person. Mo- historically, I would say that Apple's Apple's colorways are very much inspired by like car colorways. So, mm. um, yeah, this makes sense. Um, I like but, that it's a, a deep green rather than sort of rather than an olive. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I mean, it's subtle. It's something mm-hmm. I think if you saw it in the right light, you'd think it was black or you know gunmetal. I, I like it. This is what Apple does well. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, looking at their iPhone 11 um, a- a Web page right now, literally. I would say 95% of the photos that show off the back of the phone, that show off the color, are of the green, uh, which is similar mm-hmm. because that's, I mean, that's that's not uncommon. That's typically what they do. They will take kind of like the other thing. I do think it's sort of interesting that that there's not like, is there a, yeah, okay, there is a white option. The white option actually looks really nice. Yeah, I mean, I, so so just looking at the features for the Pro, though, that differentiate, and let's just say like the iPhone 11, Good price point. I actually lost a Twitter bet because I was like, there's no way this is going to come in at less than $750. I felt the exact same way when I was looking at the prices. Uh, I have a brief correction to issue before we get into the prices, which is the picture I was looking at had more phones in it. Um, it, there's actually no black or white. It's silver and space gray are the two colors. And then oh. there's the midnight green, midnight green, okay, and the gold. Uh, so my apologies for misreading <gasps> that image. That's okay. On to the okay. prices. Yes. Yeah. When I was looking at the full lineup, so they're still offering the 8 and the 10R right now. And then it goes 11 Pro Pro Max with the 11 starting at $699. And I, was, I really was yep. shocked and quite pleased looking at those five all together where we have the mm-hmm. two more expensive ones. And then the 11 really to me is a well-priced phone. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. No, no, they, they, so they'd raised the price of the 10 R and they've lowered this back to what they sold. I think the eight. And, and if you look back, I'd have to look back and see the seven prices for, and um, I made it, I made a comment on Twitter that the clearly, I think that this, this shows that their gambit of, they realize they priced themselves out. 
mm-hmm. uh, yeah. last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is very smart. Like I, I'm not in the slightest bit surprised by this. And and the reason I say that uh, I was I was kind of expecting this is because I saw so many sales and lower prices on the 10R through carriers and through various Apple promotions. Apple doesn't do sales. Apple doesn't nope. cut prices. They obviously do that if they are not moving numbers the way that their um, you know operations you know projections are showing that they will. And Tim Cook did apparently you know make a comment that the iPhone 10R was the most popular iPhone. And so, to me, this is a really good move. Um, I also think that in a lot of ways, when you compare the actual um, specs and the actual uses of the phone, to me, this year feels like you're getting much less of a step down from the, uh, you know, iPhone um, uh, 11 Pro to the 11. Mm -hmm. It feels like, other than the screen type, because you do have now this multi-camera thing and you have a lot of these other modes that are going to be doing both things, um, it, it feels much more comparable in many ways. It really does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so we've talked about the colors. We've talked about the camera. Well, is there anything more we need to say there? It's it's interesting. I like the zoom in it. I'm waiting for comparisons to the yeah. Pixel camera. Yeah. Because I, I liked what they showed as a person who's kind of unhappy with how my camera's quality has aged since I got the mm-hmm. iPhone 8. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think we we got to see it outside of Apple's test uh, environment. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I mean, for me, um, I, I have many skills. I'm just not a great photographer. I'm a functional photographer. Uh, but I'm right it's there with just you. not something I'm, I'm super great at. And... Uh, the, the telephoto zoom, I can see myself using that. Other than that, it's, it's just not worth $1,500. It's just not. So, uh, I think that's, that's interesting. Uh, the, the face ID being 30% quicker. That's interesting to me. Uh, it's again, not worth $1,500 <laughs> to me personally. Uh, we've got faster charging. That seems great. Uh, and it'll be great when I buy next year's phone. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and, and what, what's yeah. funny how they're doing the faster charging is they're doing a trick that I've actually been doing myself for a while, which is they are just giving you an 18-watt charger and then a, a lightning to, to USB 3 cable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is hilarious. So um, uh, the good news is you can now use the same charger with your iPad Pro and your iPhone. The bad news is you still have to carry two different cables. <sighs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, it really is. Oh, it really is. The, 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 the better – it is hilarious. The better news, at least for me, is that at least – at least you can use the iPhone cable that comes in the box with your $1,500 iPhone with your, you know, $2,500 um, MacBook. So uh, that at least you don't require, like, you don't have to get, like, spend another 30 bucks on a cable. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that these look like fine updates. This is this is not, look, I'm getting this obvious. Okay, this is kind of interesting. You can connect to two sets of AirPods or Beats headphones at once. Oh, so you can That's, share music with people? Yeah, that's actually kind of cool. That's pretty great. Yeah. That's actually kind of cool. That's actually helpful. That's actually um, really helpful. We 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 have a really complicated call time setup phone where we're using uh, FaceTime to call through the iPhone on my Mac, and I have an external XLR <laughs> microphone set up, so that would have made this much easier. Still not worth fifteen hundred dollars. I'm sorry. No, no, no. So. I look. I, I think th- I think more than probably ever before. If you have the 10s Max or the 10s. You do not need this new phone. There is yeah. nothing to this new phone. I mean, look, some mm-hmm. of the camera stuff, if you do, if maybe, look, if, if you are like the director of Tangerine who came out, Film Like Pro to talk about things, and I've actually interviewed that guy before. He's great. 
um, and and talked to him about his story about uh, you know uh, shooting uh, how he shot um, you know his his first film you know on the iPhone and whatnot or, or I don't know if that was his first film or not but um, I think that there are some really interesting things happening with the the photography and with the um, videography stuff I think that's awesome I I also think that's a very different and kind of limited audience than even most what we would call what Apple's trying to call pro users so like. Again, I'm getting the damn thing because I'm just used to paying $53 a month. Also, I just did the math and I actually wind up doing better by doing the continued like spend 50 bucks or whatever a month for another year than if I were to buy out my contract, trade the phone into Apple for credit towards the new phone. Wow. That's nuts. Uh, okay. I mean, it's like a $30 difference, but still. But yeah, I am i don't need this, right? Like, this is... this but is. you're going to yeah, get it, and the title of this episode will still be Christina Shaming, so... Yeah, as it <laughs> should be. Do you want to hear about our friends from Smile who are bringing yeah. you this episode of Rocket? I do. Yeah. They've got a thing called PDF Pen 11. It's the <laughs> ultimate tool for editing PDFs on the Mac. You can turn your scanned documents into editable text with PDF Pen's built-in OCR support. You can compare two parts of the same document with split view. And you can mark up documents with the scribble tool, which sounds really fun, or add annotations and notes. PDF Pen Pro 11 can automatically turn your documents into fillable forms, plus export to Excel, PowerPoint, and more. And sharing documents with PDF Pen on iPhone and iPad from your Mac is simple with iCloud or Dropbox. Learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. If you do any work, with PDFs, you need PDF Pen. So go to smilesoftware.com slash podcast to learn more. Go check it out. Our Woo-hoo. eternal thanks to PDF Pen for their support of this show and Relay FM because they're awesome and they are our friends at Smile. Do you guys have any final thoughts about the uh the keynote the apple event wow that we waited so long for uh do you know that episode 30 rock where tina fey is uh talking to the nbc uh executive and and she goes nbc nowhere to go from here but up (laughs) up. that's i mean i I mean yeah i mean look my, my my big thing like i said before i think that we're kind of at this place where we're at like peak phone we're at peak device we're at all these things and so it's just kind of like we don't really know yeah. what we're just kind of burned out. Period. We still tuned so, in, though. Of course we did because <laughs> yep, we live for this stuff. Yes. Well, tell me, tell me about the Dreamcast. What is it? Oh, <laughs> you don't know the Dreamcast. You know the Dreamcast. I know what the Dreamcast okay. is. But, but have you ever touched one? I can't remember. Oh wow! Well, <laughs> no, you, would you, remember. you would remember. You would remember. So I, I mean, in my in my opinion, the Dreamcast is, I mean, it's not better than the Nintendo 64, obviously, because that's like, that has golden eyes, you know, Zelda's whatever. But like, it's it's one of my most loved, one of my most favorite game systems of all time. And I think when you look at like the failed kind of game systems, it is far and away the best failed game system. Like it was better, I'm just going to say it, it was better than the PS2 on every single level. And because Sega had no money and it came out early and PlayStation was such a juggernaut and played damn DVDs, which is why so many people bought it to begin with. 
it, you know, obviously wasn't going to win. But I loved the Dreamcast, and I love it yeah. to this day, and I miss I it. Too. And it I, and weird, I think it is probably right? the best like thing. Like it had weird stuff on it. Yeah, I, it was awesome. I, I still have mine. I I've do too. updated the capacitors in mine every few years, and the the plastic is, uh, you know, it's obviously yellowed after all these years. But it is mine. Uh, still looks brand new because I oh, haven't played it in a really long time. So oh mine is like brand new. Mine's um, always out. I mean, so can we back up a bit? I mean, Christy, you have a really interesting story about what you were doing on nine nine ninety nine. So sure do. So um. That's the summer of 1999, I got my first job, and it was at the Electronics Boutique, or EB Games, which is now GameStop. And this was at the <laughs> mall, and and I, I, I had the coolest job in the mall working in the video game store, and I legit did, right? And we were all about Dreamcast that summer. We were doing pre-orders. We had um, some demo machines in um, the store with Soul Calibur on it and we would have videos for you know um uh, uh you know um NFL 2K the 2K series got its start on Dreamcast um and 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 Crazy Taxi and and Sonic and and all these other games and we were doing pre-orders and I was actually so I was 16 and I was actually in a weird little break from school I was switching high schools and so I had a few weeks off and I worked a really really long shift at the mall selling the Dreamcast. And it was, I mean, I think I came in at like 2 or 3 p.m. So I missed the morning rush, but I was there until after midnight. And I'll never forget, we took out the rolls that were inside of the registers and unrolled them. And they went across the entire store and then back some. We did something like $30,000 in, in, in sales that day, which was crazy. Also, we mentioned, I mentioned this last year, but originally... Uh, Final Fantasy VIII was also supposed to come out on nine nine ninety nine, yes, and and yes. Square pushed it up, I think to the seventh, where they where we got the shipments on the seventh or the eighth. So it was originally supposed to be out the same day. So I in the in the weeks leading up to Dreamcast, I was on the phone with so many damn people having to call me like, "Hey, this is Christina from the Electronics Boutique. Just want to remind you that your pre order of Final Fantasy VIII for PlayStation will be in this, you know, is is available or will be coming out. Or just want to remind you, you know, you you put down a a twenty dollar deposit for Dreamcast, and we're gonna have them in the store." I mean, wow. it was nuts. Like there were so many people in that store, and the lines went like crazy. And like the mall closed <laughs> at nine, but we didn't we didn't leave. I mean, I think that we probably didn't weren't able to kick people out until probably nine forty five because we still had transactions to to run up and other stuff because it was complicated. Like you had, we had a certain number of systems that came in. We had enough to cover our pre orders and a lot of our reserves, and then we actually wound up with one extra that I got to buy, but because I hadn't pre ordered, I'd, I'd kind of I was like, I don't, I'm not going to do this, and then mm. I had FOMO. Um, yep. But we had people, you know, but we also had games and then we had accessories. Like a lot of people had ordered stuff. And what was interesting was there were a few accessories that came out that Sega either canceled or discontinued or whatever, but that still managed to get shipped to the store. So the keyboard was one of those. So the big thing <laughs> with Dreamcast, it was the very first internet connected console. It had a built-in 56K modem. Can we, and, can we just one second there? Yeah. Like that's hard to overstate how yeah. critical that was. This game shipped with Fantasy Star <laughs> Online. If you've played like online games like Halo Online or XBLA with automatic matchmaking, this is the system that really broke that in the yes. console space and, for people. And, and in fact, there are there there have been reports because the base of the operating system that the Dreamcast used was Microsoft was Windows CE, and yep. there have been there's you know Microsoft worked with them on some of that stuff, and then 
clearly learned from that with Xbox. Um, but yeah, so it had a built-in modem and you could get a keyboard for it so you could actually browse the web or <laughs> yeah. play. There, there was this great game called Typing of the Dead. Uh, which I was, love that game. I love that game too. Oh. Weird game. It's a, it's a shooter game, but instead of shooting, you're using your keyboard. But they also had interesting controllers. There was a bass fishing controller that would be used with the the Sega Big Bass Fishing game. And there was, and, and it had like a, 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 you know, like a the reel on the side and it would get tight and rumble when you would, you know, fish. And so, you know, as, as, the, as the fish is pulling on your line, like there, you have resistance. There was also originally going to be for um, some of the games, there was like a, a light gun. And then Sega canceled the light gun because oh, of Columbine. God which was a few months earlier, yeah. but we still got them to the store. So I yep. still have one. Um, uh, I oh, have one that's of the, worth a lot of money now, Oh, I Christina. know. Wow. I know. I have one of the official, like, unreleased, like, Sega, like, things. But anyway, but it was just, there were so many people. People were so excited. This was back when we were still doing bits. So this was the first 128-bit system. But it, more than that, like, they weren't using DVD. They were using this thing called GD-ROM, which were technically CDs, but they were, like, a 1,000. They, they were smaller than, than, than DVDs, but they were larger than CDs. And in fact, later on when it became really easy to pirate games on the Dreamcast, you could overburn your CDs to fill up a standard CD-ROM to, to hold most of what would be in a GD-ROM. But it was yeah. this weird, like, you know, disc format um, which kind of hurt it. They had memory cards um, the same way that, you know, the the N64 and the PlayStation and, and the Saturn did. But this time it had an LCD um, little controller screen. Yep. Yeah, a little controller. And and in fact, like, you could do little games on, like, there was this game, Seaman, which was just this bananas game. And you could control, like, your Seaman, like your little, you know, Tamagotchi <laughs> On the memory pack, they had that with Sonic too. With the yeah, little, they sure uh, did. Cow, cow things for the uh, is it Chow Chow? How do you say it? Something the, like that. For the yeah, racing yeah, movie chow, yeah. And, and yeah. it would show you things, and it would show you things like on it because it had like this little LCD, you know, this black and white LCD display. It would show you things like your health or like your power and whatnot. It was basically like kind of like a really early kind of HUD sort yeah. of display. I mean, this system was so innovative for its time. It was so good. The graphics were amazing. Um, and then it was just, you know, Sega, it was very clear this was their last shot. The Saturn had failed spectacularly. They were running out of money. They released the Dreamcast in um, Japan, and it did well. And they brought it out to the U.S. And in PlayStation, I think, had already announced that PS2 was going to be coming the next year. They, they did. Had this, they, yeah. had this, they had this window. And in my opinion, some of the best games of that generation came out for Dreamcast. But it just didn't last. But that day, I will never forget it. It was so magical working such a long shift, being so young. And then at the end when we closed and we realized that we had an extra <laughs> one. And that was probably my one of my first like moments of doing the very typical Christina thing, which is I have FOMO for the Apple Watch because I didn't buy it. And then I wind up buying it, you know, a- a- after swearing I wouldn't. Yep. Um, and, and that was yeah, so what happened. I, I bought could- it. Yeah, yeah, sorry, go on. Plug I, I just in. wanted to say a thing or two about the Dreamcast because this is a system that's really, really special to me. Uh, you know, one of my favorite games of all time, Space Channel 5, yeah. came out for this. It's a rhythm game. Uh, so good. It's, it's so freaking amazing. It's got style beyond belief. And if you if you look at both my artwork and my, my video game development work, I think you can just see how huge an influence this game was on me. Like one day my dream is to get the space channel license from Seika and to do a part three. Uh, this was the kind of odd game that the Dreamcast just excelled at putting mm-hmm. out. You had that, you had Seaman. You had Jet Set Radio. Broke. 
yeah, Jet Set Radio, so much style defined a genre. You have, I'm not even a sports game kind of person. No, they're, but the sports the games were amazing. K, the 2K mm-hmm. game series, they brought in realistic commentary. Yep. Oh, in a way, in realistic graphics, in a way that actually brought me in. Those were the first f- sports games I ever played that I actually enjoyed. Same. And and honestly, those were, I mean, it's hard to remember this now, but like the Madden and the NBA series, like EA was such a juggernaut that nobody else had even tried. And they were competitive. And especially yeah. when they came out to the other consoles, um, a Crazy Taxi, a great driving game, Soul Calibur. Crazy Taxi, amazing. Soul Calibur, uh, House of the Dead, mm-hmm. perfect yeah. light gun port. Um, and you Shenmue. also... Shenmue. Uh-huh. Shenmue is genre-defining. Shenmue was a game where you could Virtual go and tennis. open every single drawer, mm-hmm. uh, talk to anyone any day of the Even year. Sailors. You'd be walking down the street, and it'd be December 25th, and it would be Santa <laughs> yep. walking Stop. through the street of this town. Oh, that's so silly. I yep. love it. Oh, oh. It's so good. It was it was groundbreaking at the it time. It was groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, and it was great. And 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 nobody else was doing that. Fantasy Star Online, like you said, completely defining of, of online games. Um, Virtual Tennis, still in my opinion, the best tennis game and tennis franchise ever. One of the best sports games of all time. Even the port they did a port of uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, which also came out in September of 1999. They did a port a few months later to PlayStation or to Dreamcast. And I feel like that is still like the definitive version of the original Tony Hawk Pro Skater because the graphics were better, the sound was a little bit better, um, and the controls were still fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I love the Dreamcast. Yeah, I do too. So bottom line, today's $9,999. We want to honor the Dreamcast. And uh, also, uh, Final Fantasy VIII came out, and there's a fantastic remaster on Switch that you should play right now. Simone, I know uh, before we uh, end the show, I know you're playing Control. (laughs) I know you've listened to Christina and I reminisce. Actually, you know what? Before we end the show, I have to tell you that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Zapier. Growing a business is hard especially when you're spending hours every day moving data from emails to spreadsheets to wherever else. Wouldn't it be easy if all these things worked together without you lifting a finger? Zapier is the easiest way to automate your work. It connects all your business software and handles work for you so that you can focus on the things that matter most. You don't need to waste any more time bopping back and forth between apps or doing tasks that you know could be automated because that is what Zapier was built to do. So if you work in sales, for example, Zapier lets you instantly engage with leads and send them to a CRM or a spreadsheet. And then it lets you notify your team so they can act fast on every opportunity. But whatever your business, you can build the exact solution you need in minutes without writing code or asking a developer for help. A boom. And it has support for more than 1,500 business applications. So it's no wonder that more than 4.5 million people are saving 40 hours a month. That's an entire work week, I'm pretty sure, using Zapier. So I have, uh, I'm, I'm using this right now so I can get to know it. Um, and as I said last time I talked about this, I did set up that notification so that whenever there's a meeting scheduled in the Polygon Den, I'm notified about it through Slack, which has been nice. awesome oh, wow. both for purposes of protecting my territory and also just <laughs> for like, what's up in there? What kind of meetings are people having? It's fun. <laughs> I mean, they're on a public calendar, to be clear. I'm not hacking anyone's stuff. That's so, so <laughs> but fun. It is, I love it. 
Yeah, I really do love it. And it's totally seamless. I think it took me like two seconds to set it up because they have this very, um, like, if I were, I I believe I would be able to like go way in depth with my apps and figure out ways to connect them in intricate ways. But what I loved playing around with was just that, oh, yeah, I use the Google Calendar a lot. Give me suggestions for what I can do with Google Calendar because it has all these great suggestions for ways that you can link apps that you use. So you can be like, okay, how would I link Gmail and Slack? How would I link, a, yeah, Google Calendar and Slack, which is what I ended up doing. Um, how can I link Gmail and Google Drive even? Um, it offers options for connecting those two apps that Google doesn't even offer. So that's really cool. And you too can test these things by going through November by, go, by <laughs> listen, folks, you can try Zapier free by going to our special link, zapier.com slash rocket. That is Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash rocket for your free 14-day trial. Go there right now. It'll ch- save you so much time if you check it out. Have fun with it. That's again, zapier.com slash rocket. And that offer is available through November. So thank you so much, Zapier, for sh- your support of Rocket and all of Relay FM. Thank you. And now we're going to listen to the second part of our interview with Rachel Deloche-Williams, who is the author of My Friend Anna. We should tell uh, listeners now that um, American Express did not make you responsible for this, right? Like, I know that that okay. had to be the biggest. I-, I was so happy for you when I read Long that. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I, well, because I've gone through, anybody who's ever gone through yeah. anything with insurance, and I had my identity stolen when I was a kid, and it was this whole thing with, with dealing with credit agencies and with credit card companies. Wow. Like also really great endorsement for American Express because I don't know if Chase or Citibank or other people would have been anyway. But I wanted to ask you this. What did you think that Anna's like end game was with all of this? Like, do you think that she really wanted to do her Soho house knockoff and eventually go straight? Like a lot of corners uh, claim that they want to do. Or do you think that she was just kind of like aimlessly trying to prolong the grift as long as possible? Both. I think she really did want to do the art foundation. I think she was very serious about that. She was, like her lawyer said, really trying to fake it until she could make it. I don't think if Anna were to pull it off, say she got the church missions house and opened the Anna Delvey foundation and it was everything she said it would be. I don't think she would have reached a point where she said, this is enough for me. And I'm going to like stop cutting corners and manipulating everybody around me. Like that's just not who she is. She's Machiavellian. She'd be looking for the next thing. She'd be expanding. Um, you know, but I I do think she desperately wanted to be a part of the art, business, fashion, you know, international scene, whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Like the world was working to sort of undermine. She desperately wanted to be a part of, and I I think that was true. Yeah, and what's interesting is that it seems like for a time she sort of was accepted by that crowd, but. There were, and, and this was in, I mean, you talked to some of these people and they, they said, oh, we may know the family, but it seemed like there were people who did figure out her con that, you, you know, that she was full of shit, that she wasn't really rich. Um, but they didn't really talk to one another, right? Like it, what, do you have any like maybe insight into why? Cause pe- some people clearly, I mean, she was really good at what she did and she obviously committed fraud, but there were some people who were part of the scene who were legitimately wealthy, who can tell when like, I didn't grow up, you know, I grew up like upper middle class. Like, I don't know, you know, this type of thing, but I could imagine that if you're somebody who really does have a private jet, you can kind of smell when somebody is not not you. And right. there, you know, it kind of clicked with them and they stopped hanging out with her. Why do you think that that, I guess, Whisper Network didn't get wider? Um, God, I wish it had. I, you know, I think at this 
particular type of crime, there's a lot of shame around and people are sometimes embarrassed to say that they've been fooled, even if it was to some small degree. I think a lot of those people may have had her at their houses or hosted her, or I don't know, somehow even briefly given her some degree of validity. And then when they realized their mistake, maybe just backed away quietly. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't actually know too many people. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that makes sense. I was just curious because it seems like, you know, she wanted to be part of that world and she was kind of on the periphery. She wasn't quite in it, but she was like on yeah. the periphery. Um, I do have to say, I don't think that she ever would have been accepted fully by that world. What, what, do you yeah. have the same opinion? Like, I, I think that she would, like, even if she hadn't been caught when she was, even if she'd been able to continue getting, you know, like forging, um, uh, you know, wires uh, and whatnot, I don't think that the, uh, you know, upper echelon, like art crowd would ever have accepted her? I don't know. I, you know, I, part of me agrees with you because I now know her as what she is now. But at the same time, like I did work at Vanity Fair. I was around people like that. I, you know, I booked photographers mm-hmm. for the fairground parties. I certainly arranged a lot of photo shoots with people who were young and doing these ambitious projects or were more established, you know, people who have art galleries and we're doing interesting things in the art and fashion and, and just cultural world. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm a little torn. If, if Anna had been what she pretended to be and had just been young and figuring it out and maybe she could have like, I guess money can't buy you taste. Yeah. Um, but she was smart, I guess though, about knowing the, the sort of the transactional value of things. She just didn't really understand substance, which I guess probably would have brought her down in the end anyhow. Yeah, no, I like I get the sense that maybe like she would have been able to again like kind of be on the periphery but be, she didn't have because she didn't really have the the upbringing and whatnot. She was just so like su- she was just so surface that if it, if if it got to the point where people could dig closer, I don't necessarily know if they would have been able to like call her out and be like you're a fraud. I just don't know if she, she would have been accepted. Could have hacked it. I, yeah. I think I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. There are parts of this book that have not made reporting uh, yet, or at least any reporting I saw. And I I wanted to ask you, the best part of the book, I thought, other than the girl beat down, was the, uh, you're you're kind of turning into like uh, Detective Rachel. You yeah. know what I mean? Where you're, <laughs> you're scheming with the police and you're texting yeah. the police to try to, to basically get her arrested. She's, she's claiming she's in rehab. You know, you have your own suspicions that she's there to grift on people with addictions. I have to say, as someone that's been to rehab, that made me very angry, the thought that, because it, it totally seems in character. What was that? Was that, I mean, what is it like to kind of text the police and be like, hey, I'm trying to arrest this person? Like, that you know, sounds I, awesome. I think after, well, thank you. Um, I think after, I, I, I know like saying two months sounds so short, but the the way that time felt, felt so long. Um, <laughs> for, like I got back from Marrakesh on May 19th and the frying pan intervention that you're talking about happened on August 1st. That span of time between those dates was the longest, hardest part of my life so far. It just, and it felt Kafka-esque. It felt like the ground was moving beneath me. I couldn't figure out how to make forward progress. I couldn't come up with any solutions that made sense. And even knowing that Anna was a liar and knowing that there was a problem, I couldn't find anything to do about it because I, you know, I I tried lawyers, I tried the police, I kept trying to look for a way forward. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got to the DA's office and realized all this information I'd been collecting just to make sense of this puzzle might be useful for an investigation, it just felt like I'd finally found my people and like 
what I had was suddenly going to be useful and that the the problem was bigger than even just me. And like, that's when I started to write because one, you know, really realizing the person I'd spent so much time with was not at all what I thought. I thought, you know, I just replayed every scene and I needed to get it out of my head, but I also didn't know what was going to be helpful to them. And I just really desperately wanted to stay proactive and and to feel like I was doing something because I had felt so powerless for so long. Um, Yeah. So, you know, it's not like I, I didn't, it it kind of feels like at that point it it sort of happened fast because I had been working so hard for so long and suddenly it clicked and I just wanted to give them what I could and stay in touch. So I didn't have a lot of slow time to, to think it over until it got close to the arrest. And then I really grappled with whether or not I wanted to be participating in somebody else's, you know, incarceration and the judicial process. And, and I, I thought carefully about what that meant. But at this point too, she's like, you've had to come to terms that she's not the person you thought she was. She's put you in a really <laughs> pat position. Um, do yeah. you think too, I mean, and I, and I think it's incredible what you did to, to, to write it down and to help, you know, the, the police and, and, and really just chronicle this whole thing. Do you think that like the one thing that, that I guess the big sister moment in me that came out is, and I totally understand the impulse, but like you, you didn't tell your parents for a really long time. You kept this inside for a really long time. Do you think that part of why maybe you say it went really fast was that finally you were able to talk about it and you were almost able to kind of like get what it felt like reading the book, like you were in your head nonstop about this. This was nonstop anxiety. And then finally it's out there in the open and you're like, okay, I can, I can publicly, um, in some ways, like get this out and, and, and work with people who know about this. It's not a secret anymore. Yes. I do think to some extent, I, I, again, though, at this point I was, keeping such a small footprint because Anna was still out there in the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I obviously had trust issues coming, especially when she was still, you know, like not in, in custody. Um, so I didn't, I, I told my parents, as you mentioned, but I didn't really tell many other people. I think the main thing that allowed it to go fast at that point was even though it was the worst case scenario for me, finding out that she was a con artist and had no money, it was also the most solid piece of information I'd had in so long. It was the one thing that made sense of everything. So it gave me a weird sense of closure. Yeah. Um, like you had an answer. That, yes. I could be more decisive in my actions. I, I, you know, I knew this was the path now. Um, it wasn't so ambiguous and, and hard to figure out what to do. Um, I have one, I have one thing and, and uh, I want to get to, and then maybe we can close out, but we talked a little bit about this before we started the interview. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the way that Anna and the case in general were portrayed and perceived in the public. Um, and in the foreword, you write that you understand the fascination with Anna and why the story is appealing and interesting. And obviously, your perspective is really different. And um, Bree and I both admitted, like, our perspectives on the story, I think, are very different now that we um, have read your book and, and get a sense of what you went through. But I wanted to say, I wanted to find out if you had any thoughts about why the public perception of what happened, which, like, I fully admit, like I did in, in kind of the opening, um, is a perception that I had until reading your book. Um, why that uh, perception, which is almost one of celebration rather than disgust, like why do you think there's this disconnect with this story about where almost people are almost rooting for her versus, mm-hmm. like the reality is like she, you know, even if it wasn't, you're, you're obviously the one victim that I think people can feel for because you're an individual. Like I don't think anybody cares about the bank. I don't think anybody cares about like the W or the hotels. You're somebody we can put a face on. But even if you take it outside of that, like she was a liar. Yet as a culture, like we have Instagram accounts and she was almost being celebrated. 
do you have any thoughts on like why that disconnect in the perception and kind of the reality exists in this case? Because it's interesting to me that I, I can't think of other scam cases where the, you know, the, the con artist is almost celebrated. And, and, and I think in some cases is celebrated. I think because I think a superficial read of this story is that a young female was taking advantage of financial institutions like banks and hedge funds and rich people. So automatically there's this underdog sort of dynamic, which isn't necessarily an accurate representation of what was happening, but I think it's one that's the easiest to grasp onto. And of course, and that, and, you know, in looking at it from that vantage point, I, I think it's easier to just sort of memify it to some degree and to, and to think that it's okay to just root for Anna. Um, also, she does have this sort of weird boldness that, you, you, you know, like looking at the accounts created based on what she wore in court, she's entertaining. Um, but I, I do think it's important to take a more serious look at, at the nuanced and important, uh, like, impact of her behavior and what it means, uh, you know, for younger, younger people looking at her to, or any, a lot, there, there's so much, she's definitely a symptom of her times so looking at like the cash me outside girl or, yeah. um, you know, it just, it's, it's sort of this like democratization of weird celebrity internet culture where like the louder and weirder your personality is, the more following you accrue. And like, I, I don't know. I don't have the answers. I see, I see the problem, but I, I can barely describe it. Um, I, I just, I just think it's a, it's a superficial read and it, it takes a lot of work to actually look more, more deeply into something sometimes. And, and it's easier to just be amused. What is, uh, I, I think you and I probably have something in common in the fact, like I've had people play the worst moments of my life on TV. You're going to have that happen to you with this HBO thing. Uh, what is it? I, I know what it's like for me, but what is it like to have the hardest thing you've ever gone through kind of played as public entertainment? Like, what what does that feel like for the public? What does it feel like for you so people can know that? Yeah, um, I think on one hand, to some degree with my book at least, and it's the thing I'm trying to focus on, I've gotten such overwhelming support and I've created so many positive connections through sharing my story that I feel like I've definitely done the right thing. When there are harder times where I feel like I'm misunderstood or I'm not seen or that, the, you know, people are responding to something that wasn't what happened and, you know, the story kind of takes on a life of its own. I just have to remind myself that's not me and that's not this story. And people will see what they need to see in this and I hope it serves them. But at a certain point, I have to just step back and remember who I am. And I'm, you know, I'm really grateful to have such solid support systems in my life with my family and my friends and like they know me. And, you know, I, I think it's good to just sort of focus on what I can and can't control and, and just try to remember who I am and, and know that. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. Please don't listen to the, like, I feel like we're all friends now. So please don't listen <laughs> to the episodes of Rocket where we're kind of delighted in this story. There's no kind of, there was straight up no rejoicing. Worry. But but genuinely, if I can be honest, I think part of the reason was because at that point we didn't know, um, like we knew you had a book deal. We didn't know that the, the debt had been forgiven. Um, but it, it felt like, oh, you know, everybody's okay. The only people who are really hurt here, you know, are the banks. And I think what's so great about your book is it really does give a sense of like the personal, 
like toll that all this takes. Um, and and so I'm, I'm really glad you wrote it. I'm really glad I read it because I was definitely yeah. at that kind of flippant thing where I was like, okay, this is a ridiculous thing, but you know, everything worked out all right. Like, I think the jury probably felt that way too. But I, I what I will say, you know, people have asked me looking at where I am now and talking on podcasts or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, am I grateful this happened? Am I glad <laughs> to be where I am? Hell no. Like this was the worst thing. <laughs> and this, this two month friendship that, you know, really wreaked havoc on my life for the two years that followed. It was so hard. And I had to work so hard, not just to like keep my head above water, every little thing, you know, to find my way out of it. And then to figure out how to write a book and then to write a book. Like it was all so much work. I'm so proud of it, but it wasn't because of Anna. It was because of like my loved ones who kept me from falling off a cliff. Like I, you know, it, it wasn't easy. Um, and I'm certainly proud and grateful for the opportunities I've had, but I would never say it was worth it. And you should be proud. You should be proud. And like, honestly, you you really should be. And, and, and I think that I always thought the criticism of anybody like, uh, uh, you know, the, the prosecutor, the prosecutor, the defense tried to, you know, kind of belittle in court saying, Oh, well, you have the book deal. You have the option okay, who cares? Anna has, has book deals and options too, right? Like, obviously, yeah, like, 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 just because, you know, um, you're able to get something out of this doesn't mean that, as you said, that it was worth everything you went through. Um, and, and suffering isn't a, a, a you know, a, a all or nothing thing. Like, you know, just because bad things happen doesn't mean that the good things can't happen as well as that you can't find, you know, your own strength in that. So you, you should be proud of yourself. I mean, it's bizarre. The public will try to find something like the public, at least for me in Gamergate, you know, it's like the public tries to find something to critique you over and you find yourself constantly on the defense over the choices you made. And, you know, it's, it's just so bizarre when people like look for this dark meaning, like this horrible thing that happened to you. And like, it's a gift. You're happy for it just because you, you know, got just some because, just because out of it. Or, yeah. or just because it doesn't it's, kill you, right? Like, you should somehow right. be grateful and, and not l- move on with your life. Absolutely. Um, yeah. uh, have you talked to the Shonda Rhimes uh, people? I know it's a competing project, but have they reached out to you? Like, what's what's the goss on that, if you can say anything? Because we loved the Fire Festival uh, dueling documentary drama, and obviously that's, that's going to happen here, too. Ha- have you been in contact with them at all? No, I haven't. And that is kind of what I say in response to that, just that there can be two projects and I don't actually, I may be the only one, but I don't really think of them as being in competition. I'm glad oh, to I don't be either. separate I don't not either. working on the same project as Anna feels really healthy to me. Um, but I think that there are certainly many facets to the story and I think they'll probably support each other in, dif- in you know, however, whatever way. Um, but I, no, I haven't. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm excited to see how both of them unfold. Yeah, us too. Because um, honestly, again, like that was the great thing about the Fire Festival thing was like, you know what, we got two really good pieces of content out of it. And hopefully this is something, especially knowing that that you've been able to get your truth out and that you have your thing on record, I think makes me feel a little bit better about enjoying whatever, um, what we know is going to be like a completely fictionalized version, you know, yeah. from her perspective. I feel that way too. I'm really glad I have the book out now and we can see what happens from here. Um, so what are you doing now and, and how's your life post Anna? 
Um, life post Anna. Well, I've had a lot of different things change over the past year. Uh, most importantly concerning my day-to-day life is that I was laid off in February, which is actually was a godsend. I had to finish the book and I, I don't know how I would have managed it all. It was hard enough keeping my full-time job while I went through this. Um, but since then the book has really been a full-time job and I'm still enjoying doing at least a like some press mostly every day. I'm excited for things to get quieter, maybe kind of soon. And then I will kind of regroup before I figure out what comes next. Cause Vanity Fair was my first professional chapter and I was there for almost nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just don't know. I need, I, I just need a second, uh, I think to sort of figure that out. That's you're going to be fine. I yeah. mean, you know, and, and you deserve it. Honestly, if you, yeah. if you had yeah. the opportunity to take a breather, you, you so deserve it. Like, like do that. I agree. I can't do it for very long, but I'm going to do it while I can for just a second. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for writing this book. I hope you'll accept my apology for laughing at the pain before I knew you. I would have been uh, the same way. Don't worry. uh, It's a fantastic book. Everyone in Rocket should go buy it. I listened to it on an Audible. The narration is amazing. Uh, Go go get this book. You'll enjoy it as much as we did. Thank you for coming on. It was wonderful talking to you guys. Thank you so much for having me. That was the second part of our interview with Rachel Deloche-Williams. Thank you, Rachel, for joining us. Now back to Rocket, where we are going to finish up the week. Woo, Christina, what have you been doing this week? Well, I have been doing some work. I was in Portland for XOXO, and I actually saw a number of Rocket listeners. Um, There were several people with shirts, which was amazing. Since we haven't sold shirts in years, we should really get back on that. And um, uh, I was able to see our friend uh, uh, Kevin again, who um, uh, we sent the art to, um, our our, our fan, and and he gave me a great uh, button. And uh, I saw some other people. It was just really nice. I had a really good time. And uh, now I'm just uh, kind of uh, settling in. getting some work stuff figured out. I would love to go to XOXO someday. It sounds like a very a fun, cool time. You got to play with the Playdate, right? Oh my God, I got to play with the Playdate. I'm trying to get Cable or, or Steven on to talk to us about it. I loved it. It was so fun. It was so whimsical. It's everything I wanted out of it. So uh, I, I will nice. talk more about that in depth in another show. But yeah, the Playdate oh was gosh. awesome. Cool. Chris Brianna is your name. <laughs> what about Chris you? Brianna. Yes. What am I doing this week? Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, what am I doing this week? Uh, we are working to shut down a gun store that is uh, trying to open in my town. And my lawyer working husband uh, went through all the town regulations and found some ways that this gun store, which is going to be selling assault weapons right next to a playground, is actually violating our town's uh, parking zoning ordinances. So we are going to go present that to the zoning board tomorrow night to try to shut this down in back channel. So wish me luck on that. That's (laughs) great. That's great. You know, it's like trying to take down the the mob with tax returns. So there it is. Oh my god! Well, let's see. This week I am going into the second weekend of performances of the play Woo. that I am stage managing. The first weekend went really, really well. Uh, I'm not going to knock on wood really quick. The second weekend goes just as well because uh, it was just absolutely fantastic. Um, and I'm really proud to be a part of this whole thing. So uh, hey, if you are in New York City. Um, you can go to Eventbrite and get tickets for Troilus and Cressida at the Center at West Park. And I would love it if you did. You can use the offer code 
um, H-I-D-I-O-T-S 2019, Hideots 2019, uh, to get the ticket for 20 bucks. So, yo, why not do it? Can I just say the entire cast of this looks like it looks like you cloned Simone and gave her a bunch of awesome sisters uh-huh. to like do this play. Like ever there, I just I, I haven't seen it, but just the pictures, it's like yeah, I would completely hang out with this cast. It's great because um, my fans on Tumblr found what well, they didn't find. They have seen the post that I put publicly on Instagram. Um, and so there are some, the actors found some very fantastic posts about them on Tumblr that they are fortunately delighted by, uh, <laughs> to the tune of bench me Hector, um, oh my which gosh. frankly, same. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So that's what I'm doing this week. Hey, Christina, where can we find you online? Well, you can find me on film underscore girl on the Instagrams and the Twitters. And people have commented on how much, they, like even at XOXO, they talk about how much they like my Instagram stories of the hotel hey. room tours. So I'm going to try to like find all those and put those together in like a saved moment thing for people to relive. Uh, if you want to relive the ridi- the ridiculousness of uh, of the Toronto hotel room uh, with the heated floors. Um, and I can I can like remember those good times too. Um, and you can also find me at film underscore girl on Twitter. And you can find the stuff that I do at work at youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. Nice. And you can find Brianna online at a place. Brianna, tell us where. <laughs> you can find me online at Twitter uh, at Brianna Wu. Uh, you can support my congressional campaign by going to supportbrianna.com. Nice. And you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar, at Instagram at Doom Quasar, and at youtube.com slash Polygon, where, uh, guess what? Our cyberpunk roleplay video has finally gone up. And it's awesome. Um, so please do go check that out if you want to see two hours of Polygon playing Cyberpunk. Because it's great. Is it good? Is it good? Uh, it's Cyberpunk Red, the tabletop RPG. Oh, yes. okay. I'm Sorry. Wow. interested in I was that. Yeah. not clear <laughs> about that. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Rocket. If you liked it, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. And it helps people uh, find the show. And big thanks to Rachel Williams for coming on, even though I wasn't able to talk to her, which, of course, gutted about. But it, it sounds like you guys had a, a really productive conversation. Um, so thank you for making that happen. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs>